Hi, and welcome to today's issue of Activate, our podcast where we discuss issues about gender-based violence for 2022's 16 Days of Activism campaign. Today, my guest is Sue Hamilton. Sue and I cover a wide range of topics, but I wanted to start by drawing your attention to our discussion of the mental health that survivors experience. I wanted to draw people's attention to the existence of complex PTSD as a condition. Complex PTSD is like post-traumatic stress disorder, and a condition experienced when someone's experienced trauma, but the difference is that with complex PTSD or CPTSD, that person has experienced repeated trauma. So it encompasses the following PTSD symptoms like avoidance, re-experiencing, the mood differences, the arousal and reactivity. But it's also worth being aware that people who are experiencing CPTSD might have difficulty relating to others. They might feel distrustful. They might isolate themselves. They can have difficulty regulating their emotions. They may be prone to persistent sadness, depression, anger, thoughts of suicide. And they can have cognitive difficulties. People expect you to be able to recall the traumatic events that have happened to you in great detail. But problems with your memory, so forgetting things, forgetting details in particular, feeling dissociated or detached from your emotions, is one of the hallmark signs of complex PTSD. It's worth noting that CPTSD is not listed in the diagnostic manual as a separate condition, and some psychologists and psychiatrists do debate whether it exists, what the overlap with borderline personality disorder is. But the lived experience of many survivors is that CPTSD is something very real that is ongoing and I think is definitely an area that needs more research. Thank you for joining us today. If we could start with a quick introduction. Thank you, Anna. Yes, my name's Suzanne Hamilton. I prefer to be called Sue. My practice is Bucks Counselling. I also work as a domestic violence support worker in the criminal justice system, as well as supporting victims of crime through the Police and Crime Commission Victims First Specialist Counselling Service. And also I'm an ACES practitioner and an IMT practitioner. Wow, so a very busy woman then. Pretty busy. (laughs) (laughs) So you've mentioned there you wear a lot of hats. Could you give us a little flavour of what it is you actually do to support women? Basically, we work with the women when the guys have got intervention to help them towards better relationships in the future. So we support the women who are the victims or the current partners to that person. And we look at things like safety planning, risk assessments. We support them through the child protection process and obviously signpost on to other agencies such as Women's Aid. We work closely with the police and we work closely with children's services. Some of these women, they're kind of like in survival mode, really. And it's this old age thing. When you're in it, you don't see what's going on. It's not until you kind of like step away from it that you can see the abuse and you can see how it's impacting yourself and how it's also impacting your children. So, like you say, it's draining, it is that kind of survival mode. What support do you think survivors need psychologically after they've left the relationship? 
I think survivors need a lot of support to make those changes. I think many women are badly impacted by trauma, PTSD, post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress. You know, it's not just about one issue. It's about a buildup of issues. It's about that layers of the onion. Mm -hmm. But I think it's about building that trust with that client building that rapport and building that trust, bearing in mind if they've been through the criminal justice system, something we come across a lot of the time is around breaches of non-molestation order, breaches of restraining order, where those issues are just not taken seriously. Sadly, they feel let down by the system. And really, it's for us to say, look, reach out to us, we're here to support you, and we can help you navigate your way through you know, sometimes it can be very overwhelming for these women because if they're, especially if they're caught up in the child protection process, because so much pressure gets put on them to attend certain groups and parenting classes. And then we've got to engage with you now as well. And on top of that, they're trying to live as much as a normal life as possible, which isn't easy. Yeah, it sounds like that recovery process is almost a full-time occupation in itself. It absolutely is. Now, I think it starts from the moment some of these women wake up in the morning and if they're still with that partner, it's about that safety plan before they even have breakfast, before they even get the kids to school, before they even go to work, even if they're allowed to go to work or go to college. Mm. You've still got to function and try and do as best you can for your children in that process and for yourself and keep strong. So I think it's about finding the right intervention, them finding a safe way to be able to navigate that and get the correct therapy. In terms of talking therapy, absolutely. And also as an integral eye movement therapist, that isn't about talking therapy and I would drop that in there because some people don't want to keep talking about the same old thing. Yeah. Mm. The thing with IEMT, it's content free. So they don't have to give you a lot of content, but you can work through negative traumatic memories, emotions, belief systems, identity, PTSD and more. And I've noticed that in a lot of the conversations Obviously, since the COVID pandemic, there have been more conversations about the impact of gender-based violence. But a lot of those conversations are focused on the adults and the women's experience in that. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is a gap in the conversation about the impact on children? I think there's a definite gap. I do think there needs to be some kind of like routine screening really introduced for children in terms of things like GP appointments, health visitors and and education. Mm. Yeah, as a, a professional who's worked with children for the last 13 years, I'm really aware that when we talk about safeguarding training, for example, mm. I don't think I've ever heard much discussion about the impact of witnessing domestic violence, for example, rather than actually experiencing direct abuse themselves. Mm. And I think, you know, they get caught up in it and it can start, obviously it can start from when the woman's pregnant, <laughs> mm -hmm. that baby's inside her tummy and then she's going through this domestic abuse, this domestic violence, then that baby also witnesses that inside of the womb. So it starts right from unborn. Mm -hmm. There needs to be much more intervention for children out there so that they know what can I access and also for the adults, not just women, 
but for all adults because those that have been caught up in adverse childhood experiences themselves and maybe didn't get the support that they needed as children they might not recognize how this is impacting their own children I think there needs to be much more education around that yeah you mentioned being an ACES practitioner so someone who works with people who've experienced adverse childhood experiences. Why is it important that we're aware of ACEs? Because I think it's not on the agenda. I think it needs to be much more on the agenda. I think, you know, if you see a child that goes into school that's perhaps a bit insular, a bit into themselves, what's that about? Who's asking them those questions? Maybe the the kid that goes in and gets bullied all the time because they're so vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? So what support are they getting? And actually, they might not be saying anything, but they've got bruises and they've got actual visible injuries, then obviously safeguarding should kick in. But I think that there needs to be much more done at the early stages. There needs to be early intervention. It's preventative early intervention. Mm. Yeah. I imagine like with many things that starts with awareness that when when we discuss what the definition of an ACE is, I think a lot of people automatically go to things like domestic violence. But am I right in thinking that actually the list of 12 ACEs that there are covers much wider things than just things like domestic violence? It does. And it's not just about the direct, it's about the indirect as well. Parents who've got substance misuse issues, for instance, alcohol, drugs, and those children are brought up with that. They, they normalise that behaviour. And like you say, there's, there's the immediate impact on them. One of the things that surprised me most when I was first learning about ACEs is the link between that childhood adversity and, say, adult health conditions like autoimmune conditions, heart yeah, disease. Yeah, absolutely. Adverse childhood experiences with the child, it gets taken into adulthood and it is that long term impact being caught up in that. And it does have effect on mental health, it does, and physical, you know, because with the trauma, it's not just about the mental side of things, it's also the physical impairments. And also going on to as we get up to teenagers, reenacting some of that stuff that they've, you know, what we see is what we do. And it's very sad that especially teenagers, I was listening to something the other day and it was saying about this stuff in school where they're doing like these skirt uplifting thing and how much kind of like abuse goes on at school age. Yeah, so when we talk about that early intervention, Mm. we're not just talking about for that person. It sounds like it's also kind of trying to break the pattern for the generations to follow as well absolutely it's intergenerational yeah wow so really far-reaching then just to kind of wrap us up what can we do as people out there in the community to start breaking some of these patterns do you think i think we need to look at this more with a microscope see what is going on with these children that are impacted by domestic abuse because Some of the adults, they can be so chaotic and these children are going, no one's seeing these children. It's the children that we don't see, you know. It's the ones that go underground and you don't hear from those clients or you don't see those children. That's the danger zone because they're so vulnerable. And who do they have? 
you know. But I think the the impact on ACEs needs to be much more on the agenda. Mm, yeah, definitely agree. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time today, Suzanne. I appreciate we've, we've covered a wide range of topics in a, a very <laughs> short space of time, but it's been so fascinating to hear your perspectives on such a complicated issue. Yeah, it's a very complex issue, but it's a very important one and not one to go unnoticed. Well, I was really glad to have the opportunity to talk to Suzanne about the impact on children, and I'm going to be picking up the topic again in a later interview. But it's really worth bearing in mind that issue of the adverse childhood events. Like we said in the interview, those do include traumatic events such as experiencing domestic violence, but it also includes things like being bullied, separation of your parents, repeated home moves. And the more ACEs, the more adverse childhood events you have, the more likely you are, like we said, to have certain health conditions, certain mental health conditions. It's fascinating research. Today's invitation to activism takes us back to Suzanne's original point, that survivors of domestic abuse need psychological input, that there should be recognition that we need a range of therapeutic and holistic mental health support survivors. Now, Women's Aid have actually been running a campaign this year called Deserve to be Heard to highlight the impact of domestic abuse on the mental health of women and their children. So today's action is to click on the link in the show notes, which will take you to the Deserve to be Heard campaign page. You can have a read about it. There are survivor stories. You might like to just read them. You might like to share them. But there's also a sign up link to get a monthly email from Women's Aid, which will give you monthly small actions that you can take as a Deserve to be Heard campaigner. I get those emails myself and often find that those monthly emails can be done in five minutes or less, but make me feel like I'm doing some good activism throughout the year, not just in the 16 days. Join me tomorrow when my guest is Rosie Lyon. Rosie's a truly inspirational woman. She's won the Young Banker of the Year for her ideas on how we can revolutionise the banking system to support survivors of domestic abuse. Rosie's really generous with her own personal story and the things she talks about are really groundbreaking. So I hope you can join us to learn more about the financial implications of domestic violence tomorrow.